you know, people say we can't win a war on terror. And I say, well, in a literal sense, yeah, we can't win it with bombs. But in terms of defeating terrorist groups, I think we can absolutely do it. I just think that it requires innovation, forward thinking, and to not use, you know, things that went out of style 50 years ago and haven't been effective for even longer than that. I mean, what you're talking about is cult leaders who are going after young men who don't really see any opportunities. And to me, we aren't stopping them. We are helping them because all those cult leaders have to do is they have to point at the drones in the sky, point at the military bases on the ground, you know, point at the devastation caused by American weapons right away. If we say, say, no, we're done with this. They don't have that recruiting tool anymore. If we then do what's even more devastating to their approach, which is open up trade and say, here are the wonders of capitalism. Here's what separation of church and state gets you. Here's what you get when you allow women to get educated and work. Are you sure you want to keep on doing this backwards stuff? And that, to me, is going to be the kiss of death for all of these groups that are basically relying on American military stupidity as their primary recruitment tool. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Blast off here with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with the beautiful Ray of Truth herself. Give it up for Raylene Lighthouse! Hi, guys. Hello, Johnny. How you doing? Fantastic. I had awesome. so much fun with you yesterday. I know. Well, we had just a, a crazy adventure in Seattle. We were doing a photo shoot, and it was just an absolute blast. We got some promotional pictures taken for Blast Off Johnny Rocket and Raylene. What a cool experience, and, you know, we can actually talk about a little bit more of this later on the all-nighter, but if you are interested in hearing our crazy adventure in Seattle, please check us out at patreon.com forward slash blastoffpodcast. And uh, it was really cool, though, but you actually did see the old studio where we recorded with Kurt and Heather. Yeah, it was really fun to see your roots. It was great. Yeah, you got to meet Kurt, too. Kurt Nelson. It was great seeing Kurt and... I haven't seen Kurt in like eight months. Wow. And what a blast to actually see him in a, in, a, in a long time. But it was fun meeting and seeing him and some new people too. So anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket and we're here at Blast Off. And guess what, Raylene? We have a really, really cool fucking guest. I know. Are you ready for him? Are you ready? I'm so excited. You don't know. This is making my life. It's making your life. That much yep. better. All right. So our guest, before starting his own education business, this guy studied mathematics and economics at Brown University and then worked as an actuary. After seeing the negative effects of government on business, education, and more, this individual spent more and more time working for the causes of liberty. He has spent several terms working as vice chair of the Libertarian National Committee, host of Libertarians Working For You radio show, and a vocal advocate for defunding and downsizing government programs that limit the freedoms of the American people. This individual is currently running for president of the United States. I welcome to Blast Off. Give it up for Arvin Burrow. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? I'm excited to be on here. Arvin. Hell yeah, dude. Welcome to the show. This is the second time. Well, the first time you were on our Johnny Rocket Launchpad, and now this is episode six of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. New show. Awesome. Awesome. 
New show, same shit. How's that? You know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Arvin, I am really excited that you're here. And you recently announced that you are running for president. And that was at NOLA. Mm-hmm. And what would be the first thing you would do as president? And what would be the goals of your presidency? Day one is going to start with basically two things. One, I'm bringing the troops home. First day, we're pulling out of everywhere. We're shutting down foreign military bases. We're going to stop creating enemies overseas. Everyone's coming home. We are only going to be using the military for the legitimate defense of the United States. We're not going to be a world police. We're not going to be interfering with other nations. We're not going to be occupying places permanently. We're not creating enemies. That's done. The second thing I'm doing on that first day, on the very first day, I'm going to pardon Edward Snowden. I'm going to pardon Ross Ulbricht. And I'm going to pardon all nonviolent prisoners who haven't stolen anything, who haven't hurt anyone else, who are there for drugs or a cryptocurrency, or dr- or gun possession. They haven't hurt anybody with a gun. They just had a gun, right. uh, Just which in my opinion is expressing their natural rights expressed by the Second Amendment. So I'm setting every single one of them free on my first day. That's what's happening on the first day. And it's going to go from there. We're talking about downsizing huge, huge swaths of the federal government, using the power of the presidency to basically become both a partner-in-chief and a downsizer and tax cutter in chief. And I'm going to be using it to cut government at in every possible way. That's amazing. I, I, you know, I actually want to talk to you about that later because we're going to have to make this awesome GoFundMe for uh, everyone coming together and helping these people whose lives have been ruined. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be a part of the aftermath and uh, helping your, your cause. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, I have a question for you. Sure. Ron Paul mentioned before that one of his favorite presidents was Grover Cleveland Mm -hmm. because of his big veto power. Mm -hmm. Um, You know how he did that. Well, I I know that you have nothing but principles and um, I'm really excited to see what you do. But what do you think about your relationship with Congress? Um, Do you think that there's going to be any way that you can work with them, especially on omnibus bills and budgets? Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. And, and here's why. The way that the Constitution is designed, the way that the U.S. government is set up, is it's actually designed to be easier to not do something than to do something. So in certain areas, I'll be working entirely independent of Congress. I mean, Congress can keep the drug war going as long as they want. I'm going to veto everything, and I'm also going to pardon. They can arrest somebody. The second you get arrested for marijuana possession, I'm going to pardon you one second later. Every single time, I'm going to single-handedly shut the drug war down. I don't care if Congress likes it or not. I don't care if state legislators like it or not. I'm saying that right up front, like right this second, so that if I'm elected, the American people know exactly what they're getting. And I absolutely will be taking on that role of partner-in-chief. Now, there's also a lot of areas where I'll be working with Congress. And that's when it comes to finding ways to downsize government. There's a lot of parts of government that require the president and Congress to work together to downsize. It's not many. The president can actually downsize quite a bit all by himself. Right, right. But there are a few areas, and and I absolutely do believe there's a lot of people in Congress who are just waiting for someone to take the reins and actually move this in the direction that they want to go in. I know there's a belief out there that every single person in politics is corrupt. I just don't believe that. In the same way, there's this belief that says all the American people are stupid. I don't believe that either. There's a lot of decency out there. There's a lot of good people out there. We just need to allow them to do what they want to do. Mm. Right on, man. Right on. Now, like as 
POTUS, you know, he gets the power of appointment just as Anthony Kennedy recently announced his retirement. So who would you appoint on your Supreme Court, Arvin? So that's a good question. And, you know, the obvious first choice that comes to mind is Judge Napolitano. I mean, that's... I mean, oh, that, hell that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that dude's a beast. I love that man. That, that guy's incredible. Uh, so that's, that's the first person that comes to mind right off the top. Now, if there's more than one appointment, I'm going to be looking for judges who are very strict constitutionalists who are going to, who don't view the constitution as like something that changes from second to second. Right. right. It can change through the process of amendment, but the idea that it just changes because we want it to change and we just want to spend more money on nonsense. I don't hold to that for a second. I'm going to be looking for people who can read the Bill of Rights and see that clearly in any reasonable interpretation, any person who's somewhat fluent in English is going to look at that and see that it absolutely has a right to privacy in there. And I'm going to look for people who are going to call things like warrantless wiretapping unconstitutional. That's right. Who are going to defend the Fourth Amendment. To me, the Fourth Amendment is really clear, which is... If you are going to be searched in any way and searching your private phone calls absolutely counts as searching. Yes. Yes. It, you specifically, ha there has to be something specific about you. It can't be just that you exist and so we're going to wiretap you. It has to be that, you know, they saw you outside and doing something. They saw you, right. you know, shooting something. They saw you doing something that's about you in the same process of getting any warrant for anything. Mass warrants, any Supreme Court judge that, that believes in that is he's in the wrong he's in the wrong line of work. I'm just glad that like it just covers the British. That's I mean, that's really what it <laughs> just meant the British. It didn't mean the, anyone the same else. The judge probably believes in collective rights. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just the British. So any, anyone else can do it, but the British, you know, that's the only ones who can't. Uh, <laughs> well, they're not even allowed to have knives. I don't really want to hear anything yeah, about fuck them. them. Fuck the Brits. All right, go ahead. Really, sorry. <laughs> I don't know, I've, been, I've been getting kind of fired up about the British lately. Ever since Brexit, I said, I don't know. It's, you that's, know, one uh, of the yeah, most. That's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the most ex exciting experiences of my life was watching my parents, who were both civil servants when I was growing up, go from working for the government to having their own businesses. And I, I was just so excited. I was so proud of them for, for making that change. It's not an easy change to make. Yeah. And honestly, I felt kind of similar when I saw. Yeah, you know, I was like, wow, maybe Britain still has some life left in it. They still have some fire. Sure. Let, let's see what happens here. I was I was proud. Let's hope. Let's hope. I love it. Um, regarding inherent powers, Congress mm -hmm. has created new cabinet departments and federal agencies that have given the president and the executive branch broad powers to address problems like education, welfare, environment, and now the homeland security. Mm -hmm. How will you use these powers to the advantage of Americans and liberty? Which agencies are the first to go? Department of Education, that's just right off the top. That has to go. You know, it's yeah. funny, Arvin, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> no big surprise there. But it's not, I mean, it's not the last. I mean, we have right now, there, there's two, there's one of the big areas that I want to focus on is, well, obviously, Department of Education, just get rid of. There, there's no need for discussion. When it comes to our military intelligence, we have some problems. Because first, we have 17 spy agencies Second, those spy agencies seem to be spending a lot of time targeting the American people, which I do not support. Yeah. I am an absolute hardline believer in the Fourth Amendment. You, the idea of warrantless wiretapping, mass surveillance, I 100% will not allow it. So that, that's one thing that, that, that's an issue. But the other issue is that over the last decades, the intelligence complex has shown itself to be not an ally of the American people or even an ally of the American presidents at the time but rather as a tool of the military-industrial complex. And this is a thing that we've seen. The, 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 the intelligence ser services are the ones who told Bush 
that we absolutely have weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Mm. And the problem that I'm seeing, and I'm seeing this even inside the Libertarian Party, is people who want to allow the intelligence services to replace the role of, of courts. And we see that when people are saying things like, you know, if you're on a terrorist watch list, it's okay for you to lose your Second Amendment rights. These people cannot be relied on. They have showed themselves unreliable. That's right. Yeah. So, so one, I will absolutely not allow intelligence to be used in place of courts. Courts are there for a reason. And second, I'm going to do everything I can to downsize that, fire most people, and use the intelligence services for something that actually makes some sense and is restricted strictly within the boundaries of the Constitution. Bam. Great answer, man. Presidents do have the power of treaty. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you get elected... Will you plan on renegotiating these foreign treaties that we already have in place? And do you believe you'll need to use executive agreements as a loophole to eliminate the need for Senate ratification in favor of liberty? So we have a few things. And, and the biggest area involved in this general realm of treaties and agreements, and, and it gets, gets pretty dense. But, but I want to talk about one in particular that I think is probably the worst treaty for us right now, and that's NATO. Oh, I agree. NATO. Yep. NATO has basically put us in a position where we are defending European socialism. We are doing it at an astronomical cost to ourselves and to the American people. We are promoting and enabling that socialism, we're not just defending it. We're promoting and enabling it through NATO. Because of NATO, we have to maintain a military because of this bizarre one-sided agreement where, where we are agreeing to protect them from whatever imagined threats, we now have to have a military many times the size of anything that we could possibly realistically need for defense. And so what I'm going to do is that is going to be one of my, that is going to be my number one priority in the area of treaties is to get us out of NATO. And I'm either going to get us out of NATO formally or I'm going to get us out of NATO informally by doing what all the European countries do, which is not really contributing to it at all. We'll keep our signature if we have to, but we're not going to provide any military support of any realistic level or significance of any kind. I love it. And, and we are obviously going to cut taxes accordingly in that Please, process. thank you, because I was going to say, Arvin, is taxation theft? It is. <laughs> all it right. Is. You're all right it with is. me, man. That, that, that's all I needed to know. And, and, and so, 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 I mean, that, that's, that's a very, very important part of this. We have to stop thinking in these, you know, World War One, World War Two, Cold War ideologies, you Definitely. know, earlier today I, I posted on Facebook discussing, you know, how wars used to work. In, in in the past, you win a war when the other side surrenders. Today, I'm not sure whose surrender we're trying to get. Who is the leader of, you know, 5,000 different splinter cells? Who is the leader of the yes. 50 different warring factions? Who Whose surrender are we asking for? It's not King George. It's not one guy. It's It's... I don't even know how many people know. So the idea of using this approach that says if we just punish the other side enough, eventually their leader will surrender. What leader? Who surrender? Right. Who, who are we talking to? That's right. And here's the thing I wanted to say is I always brought this up in the past is mm -hmm. I think the state likes to create wars on ideas. And what I mean by an idea is something that's not quantifiable. So the, to keep these wars going, they'll use things like the war on terror, right? What does that mean? The war exactly. on drugs. What really? What? What the fuck does that mean? It's all bullet points and catchphrases. I mean, anytime you hear a word, uh, "keep our children safe," it means they're going to take our weapons. If it's, that's right, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, if it says freedom, it means they're taking our freedoms. Yeah, we know that. 
Yeah, but what I'm saying, it's not quantifiable. Like, there's no, like, what is terror? Define it. I mean, you, it's such a broad term. Who is that the they boss? Will keep these who wars. surrender we want? Exactly. Right. Yeah, they'll keep these wars going forever because it's, you can't win on an idea. It's like war on terror, war on drugs, war on crime. These wars will never end. There's no victor. Now, now, and and here, that's actually an area where I disagree with a lot of, with a lot of folks in the liberty movement, a lot of folks outside the liberty movement. You know, people say we can't win a war on terror. And I, and I say, well, in a literal sense, yeah, we can't win it with bombs. But in terms of defeating terrorist groups, I think we can absolutely do it. I just think that it requires innovation, forward thinking and, and stop the not use, you know, things that went out of style 50 years ago and haven't been effective for even longer than that. When it comes to something like the war on terror, it's basically, I mean, what you're talking about is cult leaders who are going after young men who don't really see any opportunities. Right. And, and to me, we, we aren't stopping them. We are helping them because all those cult leaders have to do is they have to point to, at the drones in the sky, point at the military bases on the ground, you know, point at the devastation caused by American weapons. If we pull out right away, if we say, if we say no, we're done with this, they don't have that recruiting tool anymore. If we then do what's even more devastating to their approach which is open up trade and say, here are the wonders of capitalism. Here's what separation of church and state gets you. Here's what you get when we have, when we, when you allow women to get educated and work, they sometimes women will create great things, great services, great products. Here's what happens when you do that. Are you sure you want to keep on doing this backwards stuff? And that to me is going to be the kiss of death for terrorist groups. It's going to be the kiss of death for North Korean communism, it's going to be the kiss of death for all of these groups that are basically relying on American military stupidity as their primary recruitment tool. So to me, the war on terror, you know, even though it's not, it's kind of it's a silly a silly term, it, we can stop terror or massively reduce terrorism by using the actual powerful tools we have, which are which are economic tools, ideological tools, better ideas. That to me is a worthwhile tool. So I, so I, I, I don't think that we need to, I wouldn't give up on the war of terror. I would just win it with tools that actually make some sense. Okay. So I keep hearing how bad you are messaging, but everything you're saying to me makes complete sense here. Um, I, I, you're actually taking a very positive approach in looking at all aspects, completely understanding your enemy, knowing what it is and, and, and finding the solutions. No, I appreciate that. I'm really inspired by your comments on the American culture and how it's responsible for the size and scope of our government today. Mm-hmm. What are maybe like three things we should immediately address culturally Welfareism. to ensure, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, to ensure our children and their, and their children know what true liberty is in their lifetime? Yeah, welfareism. I mean, welfareism has to go. The government has created generational welfare. And I, I don't just mean people on food stamps. I mean, people who they, their parents, their grandparents, their kids, their grandkids up in the past and down the future, all planning to use government schools. That to me is saying that the welfare state is plan A. I'm not saying that I want to beat up on people who had unexpected circumstances. I get that. Sometimes life is unexpected. Sometimes you get sick, you get injured, you lose a job. A million things that you could not have anticipated go wrong. Even if you have the best insurances in the world, things happen that you can't expect. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is when welfare is plan A. If welfare is plan A, whether that welfare is food stamps, whether it's subsidized housing, whether it's government schools, we have a cultural problem. And this culture right now has embraced welfareism. And we've embraced middle-class welfareism specifically because it's the easiest sell. The middle class is the biggest group. It gets a lot of public positive attention. You know, we say the poor are, you know, these evil parasites and the rich are these mastermind manipulators, but the middle class 
If they get welfare, it's okay. I don't agree with that. The first place we need to stop welfare, and I, and I would say that the bulk of American, the you know, middle class is the largest group. That's where we need to stop it. We need to stop welfareism in our own homes. Then we can go after welfare for the rich and welfare for the poor, but we need to stop it for us ourselves. And that's why I strongly believe in ending all government schooling, all government funded schooling, all voucher funded charter schooling, anything where it's funded through taxation. I believe in ending that first because that is where welfare has been culturally normalized. It has been culturally normalized by the dominant culture, which is the middle class culture in America. Right on, man. And here's the thing. You know, a lot of people say you're radical. You have radical ideas and your positioning is so radical. But in 1980, and Raylene shared this with me today, and I thought it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. In 1980, the Libertarian Party policy platform stated to be abolished, Department of Energy, EPA, Food and Drug Administration, Occupational Health and Safety Administration, Federal Communication Commission, Federal Trade Commission, National Labor Relations Board, Federal Bureau of Investigation, Central Intelligence Agency, Federal Reserve, Social Security, Welfare, <laughs> Public Schools, and Taxation. Why was that okay in 1980? And I mean, we have to look at what happened since then, right? I mean, who who have we been nominating? I mean, this is and this is the thing that that you know we know, but we just don't want to admit, which is the presidential campaign is the recruiting tool of the party. It is what determines the tone of the party for the next four years. It's what determines who is attracted to the party. And what we've been doing is we have been running Republican lightweights repeatedly. We ran Bob Barr. We ran Gary Johnson. We ran Gary Johnson again, and I like all those people as people. I think Gary Johnson's a really nice guy, uh -huh. but if you listen to his messaging, all the world knows about libertarians right now is that they have a very confusing tax plan of some kind, <laughs> and the, that they're the kind of that, and they're nicer than yeah, they're yeah. nicer than Trump, and 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 that to me is that's a wasted opportunity. That's right, Gary Johnson. I agree. If Gary Johnson had talked about anything, a jury nullification, you know what we'd have right now. People nullifying the drug war on juries. That's right. If he talked about homeschooling, we'd have more people opting out of government welfare schools. If he talked about anything of substance, he could have talked about any, about military problems. He could have damaged military, re reduced military recruitment mm -hmm. so that fewer people are getting into these com morally compromised jobs. That's right. He could have talked about any of these things, but he chose not to because he had this idea and the campaign of this idea that if we're just nice enough, we'll win. Meanwhile... The literal meanest person on the planet did win. So, and the second meanest person on the planet was maybe in second place. So, I don't really think either that made any political, politically strategic sense, but it also did not. It it was a, a missed opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you have like a lot. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who really want libertarianism, mm -hmm. and I think we are going in this like I call it milk toast libertarianism, where mm -hmm. it's like we want to be kind of. You know, we want, we're socially liberal. We're, you know, fiscally conservative. That isn't libertarianism. Libertarianism is about the individual and property rights yep. and the non-aggression principle. Isn't it D. Frank Robinson that called it soft soap selling? Is yeah. that what he said? Yeah. You know, when, when he formally endorsed me for the position of vice chair, you know, the reason that he did, and I was honestly, I was blown away by it. The idea of being, being supported publicly by the one of the founders of the Libertarian Party nice. in the middle of something so contentious, yes. I, I just never would have expected that in my life. But yeah, he referred to it as soft, soft soap selling. And, and I think it's a good way to put it. It's not what we are talking about is different. What we're talking about is a major cultural change. It's an individual change. It's a very personal change for many of us. 
it's not a simple thing and it's not supposed to be simple. It is on the same order of magnitude as a religious conversion. I mean, I don't think it's a religious thing necessarily, but it's that same size. It's, it's something big. It's something personal where you're saying, wow, I'm looking at the world differently. When I first started to actually openly admit to myself that not just speeding tickets, but taxation itself was a form of theft, that it had been legitimized through cultural lies, that was a hard thing for me to admit to myself, let alone to say to anybody else. I love what you're saying about Johnson and Weld and how it's a soft message. Do you think that people are going to embrace that this time in the party with with Weld is is talking about <clears throat> running and, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff? <clears throat> well, yeah. Don't, don't yeah. say that name too loud. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, he he's he's announced that he's running and 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 I I mean, I, I certainly encourage him to run. I don't I don't agree with a lot of his positions. I do agree with some of his other positions. Uh, in terms of outreach, I think it, we're going to get a lot more benefit by having bold outreach that actually changes hearts and minds, doesn't just pander to them where they are, but actually works to change them, works for those conversions, works to really inspire people with this incredibly powerful message. Our message is so powerful. It's so beautiful. It's so inspiring. Yes. And the yep. idea of toning it down, for what? Why? Mm-hmm. Why would we want to do that? That to me is like toning down the absolute best parts of ourselves, toning down the best parts of our message. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't certainly doesn't make strategic sense, but it, it also doesn't it make doesn't any kind of personal sense. It's the position of a loser. When you come mm-hmm. at things as a position of the underdog and a loser, so we have to change our message and pretend that we're something different so people will believe us, that feels very false. Well, I, and, think, I think the Libertarian Party, though, Raylene, is so afraid of stirring shit up that they're they're mm-hmm. willing to take the you know, the very moderate centrist position. That's all they're doing. I feel like the Libertarian Party, not all of them, but if, some. If we can't do this now, if, if we can't have some balls right now, then what do you think is going to happen when there's big money involved as a large party status? It, that's frightening. Yeah, and, and that's a very important principle. I mean, one of the reasons that over the last couple of years, I really made it clear, and I wanted the Libertarian Party to understand where I was coming from, that I wanted everyone to get that I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back down from military industrial complex. I'm not going to back down from teachers unions. I'm not going to back down from the, from the prison industrial complex. I get that it's going to be politically complicated. I get that if I'm elected, we're going to have a lot of people who are going to be freaking out when I start setting nonviolent people free who haven't stolen anybody, anything from anybody, mm-hmm. they're going to be freaking out. They're going to be freaking out more when I say that this person who's stolen nothing from anybody is morally superior to the government worker whose job is entirely funded by theft. I'm going to say that (laughs) and people are going to freak out. I get that. And that's the job of a libertarian president. It's the job of a libertarian presidential candidate as well. And as far as I know, I have not yet seen any other candidates who are willing to do that, who have shown they have the backbone to do that, who don't try to go kind of play nice guy as right. soon as, as things get tough. What an opportunity for you, Arvin, that if you do get to debate somebody like Weld or, 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 or somebody like Gary Johnson or something like that, in that debate, you're going to be able to convert softer libertarians. Because as we know, as we all started off in one place, which was noble and where we were, we were allies to who we are now. 
But we progress. You get more mm -hmm. principled. You start to understand things. You start to see the evils of the state and how they really are incapable of doing anything right. Mm -hmm. so, I'm with you. And I've been in all those places. I mean, I've too. been I've been a non-voter. I've been a soft cell libertarian. I've spoken on the fair tax at places like Campaign for Liberty. I've been I've talked in favor I've spoken in favor of vouchers. I've been in all those places. I understand why people are there. You know, the first time that I started to think, you know, that the, that just because somebody has a kid, that's not a license to steal from someone else. Having mm -hmm. a kid does not give you the right to take from your that's neighbor. Right. That was a hard, that was one of those things, kind of like taxation and stuff, that it was hard for me to say to myself, let alone say it to anybody else. Forget about saying to anybody else. I could <laughs> yeah. barely say it to myself. I mean, that's a very powerful journey, a very personal journey that so many of us have gone through. And that journey is something that I want to be able to help other people go through that same process or, you know, in their form of that process. Really quick, Arvin, uh, before we wrap up this segment, you had made a comment about on your radio show, Libertarians Working for You, that you mm -hmm. had, it was like extremely rare that you had actually a candidate on that would want to reduce or eliminate parts of the government. Most of them would want to create more government. That is unbelievable because for the longest time, I thought that everyone is kind of, you know, most of the people in the party have that same mentality. Like, let's get rid of the state. Does that blow your mind or what? I mean, is- Are there libertarians? It, Yes, that, people running for uh, office. Oh so what I, what I discovered, so I used to, the, the show form, the show's format has evolved many, many times. But for a time, there was basically four candidates on the show every week. Uh, and I would always ask questions. And the way I would ask questions would be so leading. It wouldn't be like, hey, what do you want to do? It would be, if you get elected, what parts of government <laughs> are you going to work to downside? I mean, it, would be, it, 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 it was really shifted. Though. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, kind of you know, having been used to getting this kind of treatment from the mainstream media, I kind of turned it around, but in a different right. direction. Yeah. And on at least once, usually a lot more than once every show, the response would be, well, I don't really want to shrink anything. I want to do this other thing. Ugh. And that to me showed a cultural problem. Now, these are the people who I know could be converted because they, because I could tell that in their hearts, you know, be talking before the show, just chatting, I knew that they wanted to get out there and say, I just want to cut the whole thing to the ground. But uh, the culture of the party had told them that you can't say that. When you have the top of the ticket guy, that's, you know, Gary Johnson or Bob Barr or whoever, whoever, and that guy's backing down, he's supposed to be the fearless leader. Right. He's supposed to set the standard for courage. He's supposed to be the boldest among us. He's supposed to lead from the front. I mean, he's supposed, the, the, the presidential candidate should be the boldest person in the party. And we look to him and say, I agree with whoever's running that, yeah, we need to abolish government schools. I agree that we need to bring the troops home. But when you have Gary Johnson at the top who's trying to play Mr. Nice Guy, the people who are running below are saying, well, yeah, I agree that we need to have a fair tax. They're trying to do the right thing. They're not bad people. They're good people. But they have been had their message corrupted by the leadership. The leadership, I know we're supposed to be a bottom-up party all the time, and a lot of times we try to be, but sometimes the top actually does matter. Right on, man. Anyways, though, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, the Ray of Truth herself, Raylene Lanoff. Thanks, Johnny. And we're talking to presidential candidate Arvin Vora here on Blast Off. And next up, we have Rocket Fire. So stick around. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com. 
or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. I'm Johnny Rocket here with my ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Arvin Vora. What's up, guys? Arvin, thank you so much for being here on the show, sir. And what we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Arvin, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Let's do it. Let's do it. Right on. Question one. Which book or essay do you believe is essential and has provided the needed contribution towards human freedom? Uh, Atlas Shrugged. And Rand Atlas Shrugged, no question. Uh, to me, it was, one of, it was a major o- eye-opening idea that there is a way to exist where you can exist authentically with integrity that goes that where your integrity is stronger than law it's stronger than the state where the idea that somebody has a right to you the fruits of your labor is totally wrong i would say without any question atlas shrugged right all man question two what are the critical steps that a candidate should do to increase his or her visibility 
within a campaign. Visibility is going to come from people spreading your message. So if you say something worth saying, if you say something worth hearing, if you say something worth discussing, that's going to spread. And the most important thing is your messaging needs to go after the sacred cows of the state, getting rid of things like the income tax, government schools, the welfare state, the military industrial complex. Those are the things worth talking about ending. Right on, man. Question three. Do you think a college degree has any value? Does it represent, quote unquote, real value or is it proof of indoctrination? Or neither. It has zero educational value of any kind. It is something that we should stop subsidizing immediately. That's one of the reasons why I want to get rid of the Department of Education, because I want to abolish the idea of federally backed student loans of any kind. Fantastic. I want colleges to have to lower their prices or go out of business. I want to see real price competition come to higher education. I think a college tuition, a legitimate higher education tuition, should be maybe at most 5000 per year, but I bet with the free market, it's going to be closer to 500 I want to get all accreditation regulation by the government out of it. I want all of that done. So, so to me, right now, it's not a proof of anything. If you are considering college, I would advise you to consider things like the actuarial exams, even the Foreign Service Officers Test, and other forms of alternative ways to demonstrate your ability. A college education, a college tuition, college degree, those should be your backups. They should not be plan A. Right on, man. Question four. Do you believe in the use of force, especially in regards to self-defense? Yes, but if, you know, as somebody that studied martial arts and really believes in the philosophy, I believe in the use of the minimal possible force in any given situation. So, for example, if let's say I'm, I'm in an alley and I see somebody wants to pick a fight with me and let's say he's half my size, I'm going to run away. I would rather do no violence, even if it means that I'm like, you know, not tough enough. Even if I know that I could beat him to a bloody pulp, I'm not going to do that. That to me is morally wrong. It is always right to use the least amount of force possible. That's why I've been talking about using nonviolent means to overthrow the government. Gandhi's shown it's worked. Martin Luther King showed it works. I believe that violence can be justified, but it should never be plan A. It should never be plan B or plan C. It should be the last absolute last thing you consider and even then you should consider the minimal minimal amount of violence in a situation where you have to use force you should use the lowest amount of force you possibly can not you know this the maximum force which is what we're seeing coming from our government right on man question five can someone be a principled libertarian while also being bigoted sexist and racist what does personal beliefs have anything to do with libertarianism is it theoretically possible? Sure. Is it likely? I would say probably not because libertarianism has at its heart individualism and that kind of sort of short-sighted collectivism, it's very, very, very unlikely that that kind of collectivist mindset is going to exist with true libertarianism. We've seen folks like Stefan Molyneux who pretend to be anarchists because they don't want the other guy's big government. They want their own big government. And that, to me, is what you're actually going to get. So I would say it's very unlikely. And I think the true principle of libertarianism really flows from the idea of individualism. Right on, man. Question six. What examples would you cite to prove that private charities would be more successful than the state? I don't even think you need to go as far as private charity. I mean, you can just prove that <laughs> that pro the free market provides things much cheaper and more effectively. Simple example, you have something like, you compare EpiPen to something like LASIK. LASIK is a highly complex procedure. It's basically science fiction, involves skilled labor, costs a few hundred bucks. EpiPen is, you know, 1910 technology. And because it has a government subsidy, its price has gone up. So... When it comes to how people who are poor function, 
It's not exclusively on charity. It's mostly on the free market. People who are poor don't primarily only eat at soup kitchens. They don't primarily only, you know, get clothes that are that are that are being donated to homeless shelters. They just buy things that cost less. And having price competition in every area, education, healthcare, etc., that matters. Now, if you want specific examples, you can just look at what are the things that the government has tried to shut down. Right. They've right. tried to shut down people uh, donating food to the homeless, donating church space to the homeless, donating you know showers to the homeless so that they be clean and live with dignity. Those are the. I mean, the fact that the government is trying to shut down charity no shows that they see charity as a threat to their dishonest presentation of the of the world as a place where government welfare is necessary. It isn't. Right on, man. Sorry, I just I just got I got oh love it. <laughs> Raylene, okay, I'm, I'm like tapping her. All right, stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Question seven. Should we do less for the elderly? Those old people suck. Is Medicare a Ponzi scheme? I'm sorry, old people. I really don't mean that. I was a joke. Soylent green. <laughs> so, so the the question should we should who you know who's the we? Should the government get out of the way of elderly care? Yes. Yes. It it has no place there. Should Americans as individuals as families do less for old people? Of course not. I mean, I, I think that was a joke. That, yeah, I mean, I think that was that my the, bad the, joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 but, I, but, I, but I do think it's important to, to, to recognize that the elderly play an important role in any society. They have the most accumulated life experience or the major part that knits families close together. You know, if you have, you know, cousins or whatever with the same grandmother, that, that brings you closer together. But the idea of having the government mismanage their health care, that to me is a bad idea. I don't want government mismanaging education for the young. I don't want government mismanaging health care for the older, for the elderly. It's wrong. It's ineffective and it needs to stop. Right on, man. Question eight. How do you think a presidential run will be different from being vice chair of the Libertarian Party? The vice chair to me is, is a position that's about 50% internal focused, 50% externally focused. To me, running for president is something that's about 99% externally focused. <laughs> right. So the you know, style of communication is a little bit different. The approach is different. The strategy is different. You know, I'm not right now, I'm not just trying to get, you know, try to fire up candidates to be bolder. Right now, I'm actually setting the example by being a top of the ticket candidate and showing how to be bold. And so instead of leading by instruction, I believe a presidential candidate needs to lead by example. Right on, man. Right on. Question nine. How much would we have to tax the rich to balance the yearly government spending? What would happen to innovation? We'd have to tax the rich a lot. <laughs> and I, I don't know the exact number. Probably like all of it, un, right? <laughs> yeah, some unnecessarily high amount. And it's going to damage innovation in two ways. One, when the government does something, when it does something, it erases the mar the marketplace that would go with that. So, for example, if the government does all of healthcare, the market for, for free market healthcare is damaged, as it has been. That's why healthcare is so expensive, because the free market of healthcare is gone. It's been stolen by the government. That's why... In the past, normal, just middle class or even lower middle class families would have a doctor come to their house to deliver a baby. Right. Today, only you know Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg can afford services like that. That's what happens when you have the government driving the price up of things. I'm with you, man. Question 10, is selfishness good and can selflessness lead to problems? And if so, why? Absolutely. Uh, selflessness has been shown to lead to problems. Most of the people who join the military are joining because they want to do something good. They end up doing something bad. They want to be doing something good. But that selflessness is very manipulable. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, selfishness leads to innovation 
It leads to finding ways to make things cheaper so that more people buy them. It finds ways to make things better so that more people buy. Selfishness is what makes things cheaper. It makes things better. And by and large, it doesn't really lead to a lot of violence because violence is not really a good selfish solution. That's right. There's a there's a there's a saying, I believe it's a Chinese saying that is anger is punishing yourself for somebody else's bad behavior. And to me, committing violence is just not it's it's not a self-interested thing to do. Violence is n- almost never going to be in your self-interest. So, to me, selfishness is absolutely the way to go. I think we should encourage it. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's what leads to innovation, self-improvement, self-respect. And I 100% support it. All right, man. And I got the bonus question. This is a good one. This is the last one. Okay. Is lying to the government fraud since they have been lying to you and is fraud just as bad as force? Well, it's, is it fraud? I would say no, because, and not because the government's lying to you. It's because the government is using force on you. To use a very extreme parallel analogy, if you're standing, if we're in World War II Germany and somebody standing next to you is Jewish, and the SS asks you, is that person Jewish? And you say no. Yes, you're telling a lie, but it's better to tell a lie than to let somebody be tortured to death. Uh-huh. And to me, it's the same thing. Lying to the government is making it harder for them to commit the evil that they're committing. That includes theft. It includes killing. It includes violence. It includes driving up the cost of health care, which does lead to death. It includes of uh, restricting access to healthcare by through exi- the, through the existence of things like the FDA, which is one of the reasons why I want to get rid of the FDA, which also leads to death. So I don't think that lying to the government is is bad. I think it's it's perfectly it's often justified. And the best time to, to you know quote lies through the is through things like jury nullification. If you're on a jury and someone's in there for some non crime like gun possession or drug possession or drug selling or whatever. It doesn't matter what the facts are. You just say not guilty. That's <laughs> how we got freedom of press in the United States. Right. Uh, right. John Peter Zenger, he admitted, you know, his, his lawyer Hamilton said, yeah, he did the crime. He's still not guilty. You need to judge the content of the law. <laughs> and that to me, I don't know if you would count as a lie or not, but I'm 100% behind jury nullification. It is what we can do right now to take power back from the government. Anyway, so that's rocket fire. Give it up for Armin Bora. Yay. Hell yeah, man. Anyways, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off, and I'm here with my ray of truth, the beautiful Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Arvin Vora, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break, so stick around. Rock and roll. Why do people hate libertarians? One part of America calls them soulless robber barons who want to stick children back in factories, and the other part thinks they're drugged-up anarchists. Who are they? And why have regular Americans been told to avoid libertarians and their ideas? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, Amazon best-selling author of Stay Away from the Libertarians, where I'm gonna debunk the myths, misconceptions, and outright lies thrown at libertarians, ranging from the idea that votes can be stolen to the radical notion that you own yourself. From personal stories to ignore history, I lay out the facts and ask you if these dastardly libertarians are as much of a threat as the mainstream media and establishment politicians make them seem. You can go ahead and get a copy in print and in Kindle e-reader on Amazon today. Stay away from the libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Available on Amazon. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com.
Pitt here with the Ray of Truth, Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Arvin Vara. Hey, what's up, guys? Arvin just finished the Rocket Fire Rapid Fire questionnaire, and he did really good. Questions 1 through 10 and bonus. Did really good. A-plus on those uh, answers, my brother. Appreciate that. And the bonus questions. That was awesome. Yeah, the bonus question. Great answer. Appreciate that. So, Arvin, knowing your opinions on the military, what advice do you have for people in the movement that have spouses either in the military or retired, things like that? We need to, number one, shut down military recruitment. And that, to me, requires a few different components. We have to say, why are people joining the military? And we need to be frank and honest, because the fact is... We can say it's all for patriotism, but let's be real. A lot of times it's for college. Why should somebody have to go into work that they themselves might consider morally dubious to be able to afford college? That only happens because we've inflated the price of college. If we simply end all college subsidies, if we say, if we say listen, colleges, either lower your tuitions to something reasonable or you're going to go out of business because the free market is not going to support 200 grand to study comparative literature... If we can do that, then you don't need to, you know, sell your soul to the military to get a college education. That's right. Because the whole thing will cost like, you know, $1,500 or less. So the first thing is we need to look at what the actual motivation is. That's one of the big motivations. Another big motivation, yeah, is what people say. It's, it's, it's the idea that it's patriotic and good to join the military. And we have got to end that. We need to stop that kind of lying. A big part of it is when you're young, you're 16, you're 17, what do you want? You want respect. You see people in the military getting this artificially inflated respect. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of gone full circle to the point where, you know, in, after the Vietnam War had gotten out of hand, people showing unnecessary disrespect to people in the military, to today where, you know, if there's just applause for people in the military for just doing kind of anything. And that to me is equally silly. We're not seeing heroism right now. We're seeing people... Good people caught in an unfortunate circumstance. And so we need to stop supporting that. But the number one thing we need to do right now is to embrace the idea of individual responsibility, which says that if a thing is wrong and the government says to do it, it's still wrong. If a thing is right and the government says not to do it, it's still right. Those who seek heroism, let's talk to them and show them what real heroism is. Heroism is standing on that jury and saying not guilty because that's not a crime. That's real heroism. Real heroism is saying, I'm not going to be part of the welfare state, so I'm going to homeschool my kids. I'm not rich, but I do have principles. That's real heroism. Real heroism is refusing to be part of an immoral system. And so we need to let people know that there is real heroism, but it's not that. And to stop treating people who are ineffectively carrying out a morally dubious mission as heroes because that is the recruitment tool of the military. Thus far, we are having people who are not successfully carrying out a mission that didn't make any sense in the first place. And I, I, I'm with you, man. And But I have one other thing. I think overall, I think it's the people in power, not necessarily, you know, we've had this conversation before. Yes, those mm -hmm. the, the, the Joe on the ground is carrying, is the arm or is carrying the, the will of these dubious people at the top, these people mm -hmm. who are involved in crony capitalism. I mean, shouldn't we be giving more? I'm not saying that I agree with you, but shouldn't we be giving more blame to them than the average soldier who is doing it for the, like you said, the college money to pay off his debt or whatever? Cause that's how they get people in, you know, and they don't know no. they're doing something dubious, but it, I, I think, you know, maybe we should be looking at the politicians also. I mean, if the, the question is, why don't they know? 
And the reason is because we adults haven't told them. Right. I mean, it is the job of adults to say, frankly, to people who are 15, 16, 17, that if somebody pays you to kill or somebody pays you to bomb, even if they pay you, even if they pay you a lot. Right. It's morally wrong. Right. And, and, that's, and that's something that's recognized by our criminal code. If you hire an assassin, the assassin doesn't, you know, get, he doesn't get a different, a lighter sentence. You see what I'm saying? He can't say, oh yeah, I just did it for the money. You know, the judge <laughs> right. would be like, oh, well, point. yeah, good we point. get that you did it for the money, but that makes it kind of worse, if anything. Good moral point. So, good moral so, point. So I, I, I really do believe that it's our job as adults to speak openly and frankly. And I get that doing that is going to hurt people. For whom it's too late, who are already, who were in the military, who are yeah. out and out, and they can't go back in time. And I get that's going to hurt their feelings. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But it doesn't. I re- it really doesn't. It hurts people's feelings. Yes, it does. It, mm-hmm. it does. It does. And and the thing is, I get that it's going to hurt feelings. And I think that is, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm not smart enough to know the strategic thing to do in any situation, but I am smart enough to figure out the right thing to do. And to me, the right thing is usually telling the truth. And if somebody says, is it righteous to be in the military right now? I'm going to have to say, no, it is not. And has it been righteous at any point, you know, during my life? No, it has not been. It has always been the wrong decision. And we need to encourage people to not make that decision. Because if we say the decision was right for Iraq one, we can't be surprised when people sign up for Iraq two, because we we went around and trying to spare people's feelings said that first thing was right. Yeah. It wasn't right. Good point. And what you're saying about the the overall atmosphere of what we're teaching people and and if the economics were, were better, if we had as Austrian economics and we had free markets, then people wouldn't be so poor that they joined the military to, to make a living. That's the truth. And it's not just the, the living, it's the college and it's the lie that college is necessary for success. It just isn't. That's true. It, it simply is not. And I really do believe that if, if tomorrow more companies do what my company does, my company is, by the way, degree, degree blind. We don't care. Even though we work in education, we don't care if you have a degree because we know how nonsensical they are. Yep. If more companies start to go degree blind, then more people will say, well, yeah, I don't need college. I need a work ethic. I need knowledge. I need to, 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 to really try to improve myself. I need to be innovative, but I don't need the stupid degree. Then you're not going to have people who are either you know, going into debt or selling their soul to get the stupid degree. That's right. No, I'm with you. I love that. I, home, I, I, I homeschool. So I, I totally understand everything you're saying. And I, I, I have five kids. So when we're talking about the older, the older kids, about what their careers are going to be, college is such a waste of money. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting how they force you to take a lot of classes that pertain to you in no way or anything you're going to be doing. It's a racket. All of it's mm-hmm. a racket. It so is. I, I'm loving what you're saying. And how do we promote, what do we do to encourage companies to be degree blind? What do you think we could do? To me, I've, I've started the ways that I know, which is one, leading by example, two, speaking about it. And now when it, comes to, when it comes to what a president can specifically do is I believe that a president can be frank and honest about what a job is in the modern era. Because the, the old idea of a job where you basically do the same task and you come home and you hang out and do whatever, that doesn't exist in the modern economy. Today, our job... Every one of us, every person in America has the same job, which is innovator. Your job is to figure out either tiny little innovations on how to make this thing a little better or big, huge, you know, paradigm shifting breakthroughs wherever you're at. But that's our job. Our job is active and innovative. And if you say, well, is college going to help you do that? Anyone is going to be like, of course not. 
If my job is to be clever, I don't need to be indoctrinated into socialism. I need to be clever. I need to be on the ground. I need to be testing things out, trying out new things, seeing if I can find a clever way to do this thing a little differently. That's the job. And and so I, I really do believe that college is anachronistic. I don't believe that it has relevance to today's workforce. I think that you see in the most important industries like technology that people are often showing not having a degree is as it's almost like a, it's almost like you have bragging rights if you don't have a degree in the tech industry today. And I think that is yes. is great. I think it's yes. fantastic. Really quick, Arvin, before we wrap up the official show. Mm -hmm. Recently, Alex Merced, we just had him on a couple episodes ago, just recently won the vice chair. Is there, uh, you know, we were talking to him about you and he had some really great things to say about you, by the way. Appreciate that. Name some of your favorite things about Alex Merced and how do you think he's going to do? My favorite things about Alex Merced, he's, I mean, he is very, very driven. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. I really respect that about him. You know, he's like, I've, I saw when he, when he, when, he, when I first learned about him, he was one of the people who was volunteering in social media, doing graphic design, things like that. His graphic design at the time uh -huh. wasn't very good. And now it's spot on uh -huh. because he works, he improves, he innovates, he figures things out. You know, the, the number one thing that I wanted to have happen at this convention is I wanted Nick Sarwark to win because I knew that if I was running for president, it was Nick that I wanted to back me up. But I also believe that if I'm running for president, the person right behind Nick, Alex, I think he's also somebody who I definitely want backing me up. I want him to be able to do for me what I was doing for the Johnson Weld campaign, whether that's, you know, setting me straight if I say something out of line or whether supporting me if it's if I'm saying the right thing. And I do think I can count on him on him for doing both of those. Nice. Nice. Great answer, man. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket at Blast Off. We're talking to Arvin Vora. Arvin, give us your dot com, brother. Votevora.com. That's where you're gonna see all the information about my campaign. Uh, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, if you want to support the campaign, whatever way you can or like, we are going to be changing American culture massively over the next two years. I know it sounds like a pipe dream, but think about this. Think about how much I just kind of on my own stirred up just the Libertarian Party in the last two years. Now we're going to take that with your help. We're going to be able to do that to America. So join me in whatever way you can, whatever time you have, please do that. It's votevora.com. Right on, man. Anyway, so Johnny Rocket here with the ray of truth herself, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Raylene, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys, and thank you, Arvin. Awesome. Appreciate you guys having me on. So check this out. We're going to have more additional listener questions on the after party, and if you are interested in hearing if your question was answered by Arvin, check us out at patreon.com forward slash blastoffpodcast, and also check out the launchpadmedia.com where we're always launching ideas in your direction. Anyways, so it's Johnny Rocket, and hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week. Rock and roll.